Each one of us comes into this time and place searching for something and needing to be found by you. So would you give to each what they need to receive today to serve you and to love you? Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So uh, sometimes at Eucharist we will follow the lectionary, which is a set of assigned readings that the church around the world uses. At other times we will detour into reflections or topics that we think are important or pressing for our congregation or our times. Uh, for the next three weeks, this topic is neither all that like relevant in the big flashy sense, nor is it part of the lectionary, um, but feels maybe a little more foundational. So we're going to spend three weeks just talking about God. And not just God, but the idea of God. Because we live in a time and a place where people use that word, G-O-D, to describe many different realities, uh, often just as like a, a, a cuss word, like, you know, stub your toe, oh my god, you know. Uh, we use the word still in our culture, but we seem to have lost any sort of shared understanding of what we mean when we say God. And that would make us one of the only cultures in human history that does not have a shared understanding of what we mean when we say God. And so taking a bit of time to focus on that idea of God and to offer a little bit of a foundation that I think could be shared by even a diverse group of people from different backgrounds could come together around these very simple ways of talking about God and find it, I think, both helpful and uh, a good foundation to build off as we seek to have a faith that we can articulate and that we can find some, uh, some meaning in. And so uh, I'm calling this series an introduction. Uh, there'll be three sermons. An introduction to the idea of God will be this week. And that's sort of looking at God as in what Christians would classically call God the Father or God the Creator. Next week, we'll look at an introduction to the idea of Christ, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And then the third week, we'll do an introduction to the idea of spirit, which we'll be talking both about the Holy Spirit in particular, but also the idea of spirits more broadly, which is something that we also don't have a lot of language for today. Does that make sense as a kind of thesis? Great. Uh, and the reason that I want to use the word introduction, uh, it feels like a, a fitting word. All of you have met God before. I am confident in different ways. Uh, so this isn't an introduction to God. You two have been well introduced, whether you recognize that or not, because uh, you're breathing. So, you know, surprise. You got an introduction at some point. You came alive. Um, but an introduction to the idea of is what we're looking at. So intro and uh, duction. Intro means inward or into something from the Latin etymology. And duction comes from uh, ducere, I believe it is. It's like duke or air ducts. It's to follow. So air flows through an air duct. It follows. Or a duke is someone you would follow. So this is a following inward to the idea of God. Our scripture for this first week is going to be from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55. There are pew Bibles. If you're someone who would prefer to read along, you are also welcome to close your eyes and allow this word to wash over you.
prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, beginning in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he is present. Call to him while he is close at hand. Let the wicked abandon their ways and the evil their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord who will take pity on them. And to our God, for he will freely forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. This is the word of the Lord. But as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways high above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from the heavens, and do not return there without watering the earth, making it produce grain to give seed for sowing and bread to eat, so is it with my word issuing from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing my purpose and succeeding in the task for which I sent it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. So I'm a, a bit of a visual learner, always have been. And so I figured that for any other visual learners out there, it might be helpful to have a couple of little simple drawings that uh, we could refer to as we talk about the idea of God. So I'm going to draw five pictures that we can uh, sort of chew on as we move through this. One moment. I had something in my pocket to guide me through this, and it's not in my pocket. Give me a moment. <laughs> it's a good also moment to point out, I've drawn these pictures out in these little zines, which are going to be on your way out. You'll be able to see these pictures, and there's a breakdown on the inside of everything that we're going to be talking about. So if you want to take this home to chew on it a little bit more, there's a little pocket version that you could refer to. Okay, so, an introduction to the idea of God. Number one, God created all things. When I said this was going to not be rocket science, I really meant it. Pretty simple stuff. God creates all things. Things in heaven and things on earth. Now when we talk about God creating things on earth, we're talking about material things. We're talking about animals. We're talking about nature, trees. We're talking about 
humans. We're talking about anything that you could touch. We're talking about pews. Material, concrete, physical things. Make sense? When we're talking about the heavens, we're talking about the skies, the air, the wind, whatever that looks like. We're talking about the realm of spirits in the heavens. The angels, the clean and unclean spirits. You could maybe think of those as this, of the, the realm of ideas might be another way to have your mind enter into it. So God creates the heavens and the earth, both the realm of potential spirituality, the heavens, the realm of ideas and spirits, and the earth, the material, physical, concrete world. Good so far? Great. Number two. All things have names. Person, places, things. So all things that are created can be named. A name is a person, a place, or a thing. It's also a noun. It's the same word in Latin, name and noun. And so a noun or a name includes persons. Persons have names. You know, you are all human beings. That's one kind of name. But you're Ian. That's a particular name, right? You've got proper names and other names. We've also got places. Well, what are the names of places? Well, we're here on Earth. That's a name. We're here in Hamilton. That's a name. We're here inside of Eucharist. This place is called Eucharist or called a church, but it also has been Victoria Avenue Church. So names can change, but names also can be consistent. And then things have names. You know, I'm holding a microphone and a marker. Uh, there's a carpet beneath me. There's a candle. The names of things might be, you know, bread and wine, but it also might be Holy Communion. Things can have multiple names. Make sense so far? Great. Okay, number three. All names are ranked. This might be the hardest of these five images to, to wrap your mind around, but we inherently put all names, all created things, on some sort of hierarchy. Now, we do this in light ways often. Like, there's a game people play where it's, uh, if you had to, for the rest of your life, either have blank or blank, but you can't have both, which would you have? So let's try it for example. If for the rest of your life you could only have... Somebody shout it out. Ice cream or... Pizza. If you could only have ice cream or pizza, hands up if you're ice cream. Hands up if you're pizza. Okay, right there, we have, we have ranked the two. Now, this can get complicated with individualism, so try to set that a little aside, but you can see how even as individuals, we can rank. If I said, for the rest of your life, can you only have, somebody shout out another one? Potato chips, or somebody shout out a family member? I don't have a gym in mind, just a, a title, say mom. If you could only have potato chips or mom for the rest of your life, hands up potato chips, <laughs> hands up your mother. Okay, well done, you pass. So you can immediately see that we do rank things. So one way of thinking about this automatic ranking, and this is not something that you choose to do, it's, a, it's an automatic thing that just happens in creation, is that things get put in hierarchies. Hierarchies are not about what is meaningful. They're more about what is significant, what is a sign, what you can point to. The higher something is, even literally, physically, the easier it is for us to point to collectively. Therefore, the higher it becomes as a symbol or a sign in the hierarchy. 
One more example, just to kind of pull this out at a cultural level. Uh, can somebody shout out an artist, a musician maybe, that you like, who's moderately known? That is not moderately known, Sky. Justin, <laughs> the upper echelon there. What did somebody else shout out? Jackson Brown. Hand up if you have heard of the artist Jackson Brown. Okay, so about half the room. Somebody shout out an artist that is lesser known. Me, did somebody just say? <laughs> well, that's, if you're in this room, it does throw my numbers a little bit. Somebody shout out a lesser known musician. I heard two there, what? Sweet Thing, hands up if you've heard of Sweet Thing. Only Jess and the person behind it. <laughs> oh, somebody over there, okay. And now hands up, uh, well, somebody shout out an artist, a musician, let's say, who nearly everybody knows. Justin Bieber, hands up if you've heard of the artist Justin Bieber. Okay, so in this idea of a hierarchy of names, we could say that the name Justin Bieber is a higher name than the name Sweet Tooth, <laughs> I think. Such a low name, I don't even remember it. To me, to me, not in terms of its meaning, but just in terms of its significance in the culture and that there are other artists who might be more in the middle. And so what you can see is that every business, every artist, every influencer is attending to scale, you could think of it like a mountain, trying to get the top of some sort of Mount Olympus, trying to make their name seen and heard and recognized, and there will always then be a natural hierarchy that exists among names. Is this tracking so far? Great. Is this mic way too loud for you guys? No? Okay. I get self-conscious. Okay, so, um, you know, looking here, by the way, we could say, like, there's pizza at the bottom of this, and then there's um, TV, you know, a higher name, and then there's, um, you know, mom, and then at the top there's uh, money. So, you know, that's an example of how our hierarchies work. Okay, number four. Number four. God... God reveals God's self in names. So Moses comes across a burning bush and asks who it is. Which of all the possible gods, of all the ideas, of all the names that could exist, who are you? Where do you rank in this hierarchy of names? And the bush says to Moses, I am. Just not historically a proper name, but is a name that almost transcends the idea of names. I am that I am. But the same God who gives a name to Moses gives people other names for God. God is called um, El Shaddai in the scriptures, which means El is just the name for God or spiritual being. El means a God. Not necessarily the God at the top of all things, but a God. El Shaddai. Shaddai means breasts. So the God of breasts in a nurturing way, most likely. Uh, this is a God who is nurturing God's people. And so they call this the God of breasts. Or El, um, El, Elonia, El Elion. Apologies. El Elion which is um, God, the God most high, the God who is above the other names. 
And as people worship God and they say El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyon, El Elyon, they are gathering attention around one of those names. And that name of God coheres them because they gather to worship and to give testimony and to surround this name with their praise that brings these people together, coheres them, and the name of God comforts them. So God reveals God's self through many names, and those names move up the hierarchy of names of person, places, and things so that they can understand the God they're worshiping must be like the God who created all things. Last image. Apologies, it's harder to see back there now. Uh, but number five, God gives many names... But God supersedes all names. If you can't see, I just colored in this circle. Uh, I'll draw it up here. This is the, the image for the last one. Back to this first one, just colored in black. God supersedes all names. And, and by definition, this is what it means for God to be God to be the living God. It means that while God gives us a name, and the name may tell us something about that God, God is not contained within the names that God gives. God is not bound by creation, but creation is bound by God. And all revelations of God given to people through these names are ultimately incomplete revelations because God is God is God. To switch it up as a, as a metaphor, if this is helpful, if you think about your life like um, a shelf, you've got boxes on the shelf. You know, maybe you've got some big boxes, like your, maybe your friends or your family is a big box, or maybe your job, your career is a big box. Maybe there's smaller boxes on the shelf that maybe don't take up as much space in your life, a little hobby or something that you enjoy. Christianity and, and this classic idea of God is not saying that God should be the biggest box on the shelf. Sometimes Christians have thought, oh, I need to make sure in my life that God is the biggest box and that all the boxes are smaller. It's actually more like God is the shelf and God is the room that the shelf is in and God is everything outside of that room that you don't know. God is by definition, whatever is just beyond your understanding, and God is infinitely on from that. That is what it means to set your attention on God. It is to set your attention on what you could not know and on the name that God has given you that you can build a trusting relationship with. Okay. It's a lot, and it, I don't think it makes anything clearer, unfortunately. <laughs> Apologies. But it is God we are talking about here. So let's just think about how this might aid us as we seek to worship God and to become people formed by this God. First thing is, once we understand God in this classical idea of God way, we are talking about a God who supersedes, who sits above everything else. Which means that our ideas about God are not God. 
Our theological frameworks of God are not God. They may be faithful names, but they are not God. God supersedes all things. It also means that if anybody tells you that they know there is no God, they are talking nonsense. Because how could something understand what is above it? There are things we can understand. We can look at an ant colony and run all sorts of tests. And because they are below us and we can see them, we can understand, stand over, understand them. But when we are dealing with a higher intelligence, we cannot understand it. And if you think I'm being religious here, let's remember that at this present moment, there are people spending billions of dollars to feed information to an artificial intelligence algorithm. This is currently happening. And when you ask the researchers who are feeding information to this unknown thing, what this thing is, they will tell you they do not understand it and that they cannot understand it because artificial intelligence is a higher intelligence than our intelligence. Now, intelligence is not all that makes a human being, so it doesn't mean that this thing will be above us as human beings, but at the level of intelligence, it will be a higher intelligence in the same way that the gods and the living God are higher intelligences. Now, if you're not interested in that, just stick with the Bible stuff. But if you're like, this is far-fetched, it's literally happening right now. This is not a far-fetched idea. You could think of sociological realities as intelligences over us. All those people that pay for ads on our devices and fit us into algorithms are another kind of higher intelligence. They move us and understand how we move based off our data. We do not understand them, and we could not understand them. Welcome to the new world. The gods are among us again. And so we better reclaim an idea of a god who is not one name among many, but a god who is ultimately the god who created all things. We can no longer be atheistic. We recognize there are intelligences above us. We can only decide how we interact with those intelligences and which intelligence we give our loyalty to. We still tracking at all? Okay, let's bring this down then to the more practical level. How do we pray to a God that we cannot understand? You find this in the Old Testament especially. If you read the way that they pray. They are praying to God like praying to a black box. They're like, we're praying, and the prayers go out, but once they leave us, we do not know where they go. And you can see when they're praying that they'll sometimes pray into the abyss, and they'll be like, you've helped me before, you've done it before, you've kept your people, why would you let me die now? Please be out there. But they are praying into a black box. A black box is something that you cannot see within. You can only see input and output. So they are praying input to the God they cannot see or understand. But then out from that infinite darkness, boop, comes the answer to their prayers. This is the only way that prayer can work when we are praying to a God above us. We pray out, help, provide, please, Lord, and then, boop, comes provision. 
And then people say, well, that was weird. That was like a coincidence. Yeah, it was. It was a coincident. You and God noticing something at the same time. That's a coincident. When that thing appeared as a response to your sincere ask above, that was an answer to prayer. Now, because we cannot understand this God, you can't sit down and have a conversation about how exactly it happened. And it doesn't matter because the point of understanding anything about God the point of having any explanation to help us wrap our mind around the idea of God is not to think more, but to enter into an experience of God. And so once we know that God is, by definition, above us, we can begin to call out to the God beyond us, and we can keep our attention fixed on God's response to that prayer. Which, I want to say, will always come but will not always look the way we expected it. And I don't mean that as a cop-out. If we pray sincerely, God will always respond to our prayers either at the level of our prayer or at a higher level. If we pray for provision and we don't get the money and we lose our apartment, it will, if we are in Christ, it will always be, and this testimonies back this up, that it takes us to a higher place with God, where some new relationship, some new frontier, some new prayer, some new depth will emerge as a result of that prayer. God will always respond to our prayer, but not always in the way that we thought, and yet that prayer will always be responded to in a way that can take us higher up the mountain and closer to the source. The prayers will be responded by God in what the scriptures uh, sometimes calls signs and wonders. A sign is something you see and then you wonder about. Oh, a sign. I wonder what that means. Stop. Hmm. Roll. You know, like you'll 50, hmm, 60. You know, like we see signs, and then we wonder about them every day. God responds to us by offering us a sign, something we can recognize. And when we recognize it, and we wonder about it, the meaning of the sign is revealed to us. Riley, who was one of the, the people baptized last spring, mentioned uh, in her baptism that, I guess in a sermon I had said, God will speak to you in a way that you can understand. And she said that she kind of clung to that as a prayer and found that as she prayed more and more, she was seeing that God was responding in a way that she could understand. And that's faith. That's what faith is. To keep faith with someone is to have fidelity, to have trust. To keep faith with one another is to gather and worship in this way. To keep faith in a friendship is to check in, connect, care. To keep faith with God is to keep praying into the black box and keep noticing what the God who is there brings to you, even though you cannot fully understand that God. That's faith. Last thing. Everything I've said is true, but it does all change in the incarnation. This can actually, I, I feel, understanding the vast unknowableness of God 
can actually re-enchant the idea of Jesus for us in a very significant way. Because I think for a lot of us, especially if you were raised in religion, we can be taught that Jesus shows us God, and we're like, yeah, no surprise, God's telling us about God the whole Old Testament. You know, we, we've always known who God is, and now Jesus is God, great, that's good. But we're still thinking about God like he's just an object on the, the, the mountain, you know? But when we understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, who shows us with perfect cohesion what the infinite, unknowable God looks like, it changes the entire message of Christ. It reveals the message of Christ as being something that is, is not just God coming to rescue us, but God coming to show God's self, to reveal God's self, and to invite us into a relationship that is not us guessing at who God is, but us in Christ and through Christ knowing who God is. Not because we have pierced the infinite, but because the infinite has come down to us in finite, in a way that we could understand so that we could be God's faithful people, so that the world would be reconciled and all things made right. Amen.